Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracetoeugene.com. Here's the podcast. We are continuing in our misquoted sermon series. Uh, If you haven't been with us up to this point, what we're doing is we're taking different verses or maybe some weeks it may be concepts that people have kind of extracted out of the Bible, maybe out of context, not fully understanding it, and then using it inappropriately. And inappropriately can just be, you know, oh, giving somebody some kind of hollow comfort, giving somebody a promise to grasp onto that God never made, or it could be like misused and and weaponized. There are lots of things in the scripture that are taken out of context. And our goal here at Grace City, and we believe should our be goal as, as faithful followers of Jesus and readers of the word, is that we don't just receive it for face value, but we want to understand when this was spoken, when this was written, what did it mean? What were they talking about? And then what does that mean for us today? There's things in the Bible that talk about ritual cleansing in the temple and stuff, and we don't read that and be like, well, we got to put a ritual cleansing bath at the entryway before you, like, because that was for a different time, a different religion. But we do believe that all the Bible is God-breathed, inerrant, and useful for teaching and for discipleship. And so there is, we believe, something to take from all of this. And we don't want to be lazy and just be like, ah, oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to move on to the next verse. We want to actually see what God has for us in all of this. So naturally, when, when we deal with misquoted and taken out of context scriptures, there are churches, there are denominations, and there are individuals that may not all see things the same way. Like, that's why we're talking about them is because there's a, a number of people that may see some of these things differently. And that doesn't mean that everybody that takes it a different way is necessarily harmful or oppressive. Like, there is like a spectrum of the way that some of this stuff is interpreted over time in different churches. Um, Some of the stuff we're going to talk about in this series wouldn't necessarily be a cause for like breaking of fellowship or or friendship with people, but it will um, dictate the way in which we see a church gathering, how we see ministry, how we see models for leadership, who can lead, what leadership could look like or should look like. And there are times when for somebody to remain faithful to their convictions, like they may not be able to be in the same church as somebody else. And that's why there's been how many splits of Protestantism over the years, right? There's these things that people are like, well, I believe this, you believe that. And so more churches form. Now we're um, glad that our church didn't form out of a split, but out of being sent by our church in Grace City Corvallis. But that has happened over history within churches. Um, So that being said, today's topic is one that there's a whole spectrum of what folks believe on this. It is heavily debated in academia and seminaries and interdenominationally. You will hear different takes on this, but I'm simply going to unpack this misquoted scripture from what I believe is a God-honoring, biblically sound, and scripturally consistent perspective, landing in a place that dictates why we do what we do here at Grace City. Fair enough? 
So just want to say that because some of you may come from traditions that you were taught something significantly different. This is what we believe. It's not just Pastor Chris's view. This is what my mentorship, my leadership, and us as a staff believe and an eldership team believe. And the topic today uh, may be a little bit, um, I won't say scandalous, but people can get up in arms about this. And so that means it needs talked about. And what we're going to talk today about is women's roles in church, the role of women in church. And specifically, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 14, verses 33 through 35. And I'm guessing if you've grown up in the church, or maybe if you've been a woman trying to um, grow in your leadership in a church, you will likely have heard this scripture. So the second part of 33, it says this. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, I'm not going to like hold you on the edge of your seat wondering we don't believe that's literal. I'm just going to give you that so you can be at ease as we go into the rest of this. But this is a heavily misquoted, misunderstood scripture that we believe does not allow people to reach their full potential in what God has for them. And instead of just telling you, well, we don't see it that way, I want to unpack why, what it meant at the time it was written, and then what we can take from this as we walk out our lives as faithful disciples of Jesus. Amen? Awesome. Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. So, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that even as humans um, may take things inappropriately or out of context from time to time, I thank you that you uh, bring conviction to our hearts, that um, your word is perfect. It is without mistake. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon this place this morning and help me to teach it and help each of us to receive your truth. God, we thank you and we pray that this would be liberating, encouraging, and that this would lead to next steps ultimately in following you. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So, like many things in the scripture, we can't just take one verse and be like, oh, it says this, so this. Like, you got to kind of read what's around it and understand what's around it, right? I think we've, we've talked about that enough here at Grace City that you should know that by now. So, the specific context around this are actually verses 26 through 38. And I just want to outline a few thoughts from this, what is actually happening in this and then I want to zoom out and look at the broader context of Scripture. Because remember, I said I want to be faithful to the context of this Scripture, but I also want to be biblically consistent to the scriptural narrative, God's heart, and how he honors and places people in positions, in offices, and in leadership throughout the spectrum of the Bible. That is our heart today. So when we look at this broadened scripture, the passage begins with instruction for everybody. This, this broader passage, it begins with instruction for male and female to participate in the sharing of song, instruction, revelation, prophecy, praying in tongues, all of this stuff, sharing a tongue. This is what this scripture here is about. And the command to silence that is so often used and perhaps weaponized 
um, is in the context of commands to participate in prayer and prophecy. Thus, the silence is being talked about in this very specific sphere of ministry. It's not just some like, hey, here's a, this verse you can apply to everything. And any time that like, you disagree with somebody, you can just be like, well, you know, the Bible says you should be silent. Like, No, it's not to be weaponized and just use carte blanche whenever it is convenient for you. This is talking about a specific sphere of ministry. And the best understanding is to see this command of silence, as the word says here, um, of women only in the context of the ultimate authoritative leadership of elders in the church. This is actually starting to talk about the role of elders in teaching and in doctrine and in authority and accountability to God over leadership of the church. So we have to carefully understand the context to understand this fully. It says first in verse 34 that women are to be commanded to be silent. And this same word of silent is actually used for both male and female believers in the context of orderly worship back in verses 28 and verse 30. It is used for both. And what this is talking about there is about order, knowing when it is appropriate to speak up. Not having a bunch of people babbling over each other, trying to share a word or encouragement or whatever over one another. But it's about having some diplomacy, some tact, some order in the ways in which things are shared. So this is not a command to just be used with free reign every time someone annoys you, frustrates you, or you want to weaponize some sort of situation. The second thing is that in this context of judging the prophets or guarding the teaching of the church, this is to be the responsibility of the elders. This is another thing that contextually is being talked about and unpacked here, that this is a responsibility of the elders. And Acts 20 and Titus chapter 1 talks about this more extensively. We don't have time to go everywhere in the Bible that this talks about today. But... The Bible is clear, and we believe that the office of eldership is one that women are not to hold. That is, if you were to pin me in a corner and say, well, what, what all can women do in the church? We would say, you can do anything. We would promote any, like we have females preach, lead worship, prophesy, lead in prayer, all of that. But we believe that the Bible is really clear that ultimately eldership is the only thing. And that is what this is talking about here. So in context of that, well then why does it say so clearly that women are to be silent? And why over time have so many denominations and people and folks that maybe want other people to be quiet, why has that been weaponized? What it is specifically talking about is that women are to be silent when it comes down to the formal or final formation of doctrine in the church because that's the responsibility of the elders. Now, again, remember this word silent is about order and appropriate time and context. It does not mean that the voices of women are not necessary in those things. It does not mean that there aren't appropriate places to have these conversations. And in the context of this, it says, talk to your husbands at home about it. And there's a lot of belief that when it says talk to your husbands, that they may have been elders in the church. And that's why I said talk to them at home in private. Don't question these things in public. It is not of good order 
to question the eldership authority, the overseers in public. There's a time and place. So it's not saying don't have an opinion. You have no voice. We don't care what you say. It is not saying that. It's saying these things are to be done in the proper context, in the proper timing, and with order. And it's un- we need to understand that women are not restricted from any other leadership, office, position, or sphere of ministry or worship in the church. That is a quick version, like the ESPN ticker at the bottom, version of the context of what is happening here. It does not say that women are invaluable as ministers, teachers, worshipers, sisters in Christ, or contributors in the church. In fact, we believe that women, leadership, and input, and all this is a necessary part of us flourishing as a church community. So we do not want to get this twisted and people to misunderstand what the Bible is saying here. And so in a broader context, let's look at some of the the narrative of Scripture that supports the fact of, of this, that women are extremely valuable and necessary as ministers, teachers, worshipers, and contributors in the church. Um, we see that women ministered in a variety of ways during the ministry of Jesus and the early church. And gifts are given without consideration of gender. We see in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians And they exercised many gifts and participated freely in ministry alongside of Jesus. Some examples of this are that in Luke chapter 8, several women exercised the gift of financial giving to Jesus' ministry. And they traveled with him and they were discipled by him. They were learning from what he taught. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, she ministered as an evangelist, leading the people in her village to Jesus which means she would have been teaching them, sharing with them, speaking with some sort of authority in those ministry moments. She was an evangelist. Like, there's a validity in how these women are serving alongside Jesus. In Matthew 28 and in Mark 16, in all four Gospels, women were chosen by God to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. The first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And in Matthew and Mark, they were commanded to go and tell the disciples. They participated in the ministry of teaching. And not only to men, but to the apostles themselves. They were heavily involved in the teaching and declaring of truth. And passing on news. Like, if... I don't see how you can make a case that, well, women should be silent. If Jesus resurrects and tells women to go tell the disciples that he's back. Like, I just, I can't see any consistency throughout Scripture in this. One of my favorite points in this is in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only of the baptism of John, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. But when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had 
believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. You see, Priscilla was named first here. And most often throughout scripture when she's referred to, the wife was referred to first. And they took Apollos aside and explained the way of the gospel more accurately to him. Priscilla was exercising a teaching gift to someone who was a teacher. So if, if that's happening in the New Testament and it's heralded throughout the New Testament, this story is told multiple times, I have a really hard time making a case that women shouldn't hold the office of teaching, that they shouldn't instruct, that they shouldn't encourage and help people grow, whether male or female. This is a very clear case of that to me, and I hope it encourages you as well. It's also worth noting that in Romans 16, one-third of the people that Paul greeted as fellow ministers of the gospel in that chapter are women. Paul's writing this, this chapter. He's greeting all his fellow ministers by name, and it's this very affectionate like account of everyone that he wants to greet and, and say he remembers, and it's kind of like this shout-out, right? And one-third of them are women. That in and of itself is a statement as to the necessity, the validity, and the effectiveness of women in all of these areas of ministry. We also see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, women exercise the gift of prophecy freely, and it's effective, and it's sought out. And so I hope that by just giving you this quick overview of those things, you can see there is not a scriptural, biblical case for women not teaching, not ministering from a microphone, singing worship, preaching the word, evangelizing, making disciples. In fact, it's necessary for the flourishing of a church, a community in our world to have that as a part of any community would be our belief. Now, there's a few other scriptures where people can come to some challenges, and I just want to bring up one of those because I think you'll see that it falls in line with this this picture we've already painted for you. And in First, cha- First Timothy chapters 2 and 3, uh, Timothy's speaking to eldership or to ultimate leadership and authority over the church. And in 1 Timothy 2.12, this is another verse that you will see attached to the previous one I brought up as misquoted. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Anybody ever heard that one before? Man, I'm just opening all your eyes to the Bible. I'm just joking. So a few things to understand about this. This is at the very end of chapter 2. And then there's this big gap in your Bible. And it says 3. And it starts a new chapter. And so in the modern contemporary like reader reads that, they're like, oh, it's a new thought now. Because it's a new chapter. Did you know those chapters and verses weren't in the original transcripts? That's something that's been added more recently. And I think it does a huge disservice to the connected thought that Timothy actually has in his letter when that is the end of one chapter. And then it starts a new chapter. It's just, oh, the qualifications of an overseer. I and many scholars would agree with me that this is an unfortunate separation by chapter. And it's actually one continuous thought that bridges from chapter 2 into chapter 3. This was not just one isolated thought. This was explaining qualifications for eldership or overseers 
depending on your translation, of the local church. And another thing is here, the, the next paragraph in chapter 3, he's explaining the qualifications for a deacon, which we would see as like a leader over an area. So not elder, but a leader over an area. The scripture uses he throughout the qualifications for eldership or overseer, and then immediately in the deacon ones, it refers to them as they, which would be a more inclusive of male and female way to explain the qualifications. It changes, but we need to remember that when we read this nicely organized Bible that we have in our hands in a you know, hundred different translations, that this is still not exactly as it was. And, you know, we've put all these different means of organization with chapters and verses and different structures to the Bible these days. But at the end of the day, we need to look how the chapters and the verses actually connect in the bigger context of what it is talking about. Because chapter 2 and 3 were very intentionally the same thought. It's talking about having authority, ultimate authority, as far as humans go, in the church. And having authority is not the same thing as having a voice, having opinion, being valued, or being necessary. It's not the same thing. I bet there's plenty of you in this room that have like either career, job structure, or family structure in your family where your voice is valued. You it's desired that you would have an opinion. You may have responsibility and what you bring to the table is necessary, but you still have a CEO or a boss or someone that has ultimate authority and has to answer for everything else. And so authority in this idea of overseers and eldership is not just like, oh, you either have ultimate authority or you have no value. And so many times in our society today, like we take something and we, if we don't like it, we throw everything out about it instead of seeing like what it's actually trying to tell us. And authority is actually good news. I believe all of us should be ultimately submitted to the authority of Jesus. And then in that, I believe each person is called to have some sort of person that is discipling them and that they are discipling. That means like helping follow Jesus in their life. And I give people that I, my mentors, people that I answer to, I give them authority to hold me accountable to certain things in my life. I desperately need that. I believe that the human condition is of such that we all need that. Authority is not a bad thing, but my goodness, in today's world, authority seems like a dirty word. Like, people are just super adverse to authority, authority figures. And yes, it's been abused, but I want to tell you today that Jesus desires to redeem it. That's why he is Lord and Savior, not friend and Savior. Inherently, in our relationship with Jesus, inherently, in the God as he instituted everything in this world, there is authority. He's in charge. He's the king. Have you ever known a king that doesn't have authority? Like, it's just part of who he is. But just because there's someone else in authority in a certain area does not mean you don't have value. You're not necessary. You don't have a voice. You're not valued. That you don't contribute. Those are not opposites. It's just all part of the picture. And the authority in this context and in the context of the scripture as far as a godly home with the husband as the head of the house does not diminish the value of the wife. That's another picture of this order of the family. It doesn't diminish her value. But it's to be clear who is responsible for the ultimate direction and accountability of the home and then the church and the people in it. 
You see, at the end of my life, when I come to meet Jesus, I'm going to have to answer at a little different level than the average Joe because I've been placed in leadership. God has anointed and called me to pastor a church. I didn't go throw my name in the hat and say, man, someday I just really want to be a pastor. I was called, and God has formed me, and he has been gracious to help me grow. But I know that along with the fact that not only do I get to choose what our sermon series are, and I have all these things that I lead in, at the end of the day, I have to submit all of that to Jesus, and I have to answer to him. That's heavy, but I consider it good news. I consider it good news. Inherent in authority is so you got to answer to somebody. You got to answer to somebody. And if it's just like this super equal, everybody answers, who makes decisions? How do you have any vision going forward? Like, there's got to be structure in healthy family and healthy organization. And we believe that that is modeled in the home. We believe it's modeled in the church. And we believe that it's good news for the flourishing of God's people. So, how do we apply this in the context of our lives today? As Christians. Now, I think there's a few different directions that this has went. One, it's like, hey, this isn't what this is saying, and here's why, looking at Scripture. But then it comes down more to this, this authority, leadership kind of, of structure that it distills down to, because that's what was being talked about. But as Christians, today, I believe we should seek to build up listen to, and involve anybody who is qualified regardless of whether they're male or female. If somebody is qualified, has a heart, is called to teach, to minister in any of these spheres of service, like, we should desire that. We should build that up. Like, God has called us to equip the saints for the function, for the purpose of ministry. So male or female should not dictate if somebody's qualified to sing on the praise and worship team, if somebody's qualified to serve in hospitality, there's other things that we can look at and deacon qualification and stuff for that, but male or female does not dictate those things. We desperately need the voices of women in our community, and we need women in our community to pray, to preach, to prophesy, to be engaged in ministry. One of the strongest evangelists we've had in this church from the time it started is a young woman who's our campus minister, Elisa, like necessary part of this church. Our worship director is Melissa Rogers. Our kids director, Talisha, like if you look at it, like we need everybody who is called, who is gifted to be flourishing in whatever God has called them to. And... We each need to take serious the call to accountability and submission. We need to take those serious. Accountability and submission lead to growth, lead to progress in our journey of following Jesus. How many people, and maybe this has been part of your life, but how many people do you know that actually like confess their sins talk about the things they want to grow in, where they've went wrong, and how they want to pursue better, that, that talk about them, 
don't actually grow versus the people that are like, I'm just dealing with this with me and Jesus and I don't need you in my business. And you never know what they're actually trying to work on. They're not in relationship. They don't have people encouraging them, praying with them, praying for them. Like maybe they get a word from God to encourage them in times. But when you're isolated from connection and you don't have accountability and you're not submitted to some sort of leadership in your life, it removes a whole sphere of the opportunity to actually grow and pursue Jesus and become sanctified and more whole in him. These things are necessary, and as followers of Jesus, we need to take serious the call to accountability and submission. And we are all to be in submission to Jesus, ultimately. And as disciples, we should all have accountability to someone in the context of intentional, God-honoring relationship. I'm not talking about, oh, these are just people I like to recreate with. But intentional, God-honoring, we make each other better. We call each other up to the standards of God and in the scripture type of relationship. Not just, I can totally relax and be myself because they don't require anything of me type of relationship. Intentional, God-honoring relationships in our life. And ultimately, we all need Led. We all need covering. And this is the structure that God has implemented in the church and in the household of disciples of Jesus. He provides this. He gives us an outline. It is good news to have these things in our lives. The worship team, you can come back up. So the question I want to leave you with as we close this isn't just do you see how we need women functioning and flourishing in our church. We need both. But then, who has a voice in your life? Who has a voice in your life? Who is leading you? Who is holding you accountable? And yes, Jesus should be number one in that. You wouldn't believe, or maybe you would, how many times when I ask people, like, hey, who's discipling you? Like, Jesus, like, cool, me too, but who else is discipling you? Like, who else is in your day-to-day that it's an iron sharpening iron relationship? You are helping one another get better. You are both pursuing sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus together. You're not allowing each other to settle. You're helping keep one another from stumbling. You're your biggest fans of one another, cheerleaders for one another, but also there in the trenches when things are tough so you know you're not alone getting picked off by the enemy. Who is that person for you? We all need that person, and your spouse should not be the only one. If you're in this room and you're like, well, I got my spouse, good. That's awesome. But, like, I know Bree needs somebody else because I'm just annoying too much of the time, and it's not a great place to go. And I know I need somebody else Because I need someone that will challenge me and call me up to be a better man. Like somebody that's gone before me, maybe a few years ahead of me. Like I I need that. And yes, I need my wife. I need my best friend. We need that relationship. But my goodness, it can't just be that. Who is that voice in your life? Yes, Jesus is number one. But who else? And if you're here today and you're like, I don't know. I've never thought about it. Or I've been hurt by another voice before, so I actually resisted. I don't want that in my life now. I would ask you to give a second chance at what that looks like in your life. Don't miss out on the fullness of what God has for you in community because some 
fallible person screwed it up in the past. None of us are perfect, but we all need imperfect people in our spheres of influence helping call us up, helping hold us accountable, encouraging us, standing with us in the good times and in the challenging times. And somebody doing it wrong at some point in time does not negate the fact that Jesus calls us to be in community, that Jesus calls us to have accountability, that Jesus calls us to be disciples and make disciples. Somebody abusing that in the past doesn't, like, overwrite how Jesus calls us to live. Follow? It's important. It's important enough that he modeled it, that he talks about it, and that the church for millennia has walked out life in that way. So I'm going to pray for you as we close. And I just want to encourage you, if, if you're in a place right now where you've been trying to do the me and Jesus thing, or maybe you're just trying to do the, the me thing, um, you need Jesus. You need his accountability. You need to submit to him. And you need another at least one to two voices in your life. Because this life that we're called to live needs to be done in the context of relationship in the context of accountability and submission. Amen? So God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that all who you have called, men and women alike, that you have gifted, that you have called to um, hold spheres of of ministry, offices, God, that um, we just are grateful that you use us. And God, I just reflect on this, like, if you can use me, God, Like, with your calling and your covering, who can you not use? So we're just so grateful for that. I pray you'd help us to reflect on the ways in which you have used each of us uh, individually and how you desire to continue using us. God, would you help us to find that other voice in our life, that other, those other people that are helping hold us accountable, providing leadership, getting in the trenches with us in the good and in the bad times and pointing us to Jesus. So we thank you for leadership. We thank you for authority. We thank you for accountability. And ultimately, we thank you for the gift of Jesus on the cross that provides a way for us to be in relationship with God the Father. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.